So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning and we are so grateful that we have breath in our lungs, that we can come and we can learn about this old story um, told by just a, a godly man who sought to be faithful in his life and sought to guide other people to be faithful in their lives. Lord, we pray that this allegory, this story um, would, would encourage us, uh, would um, bolster our, our faith, and would make us more hungry to follow Christ. And Lord, may this be a sweet appetizer as we get ready for corporate worship. Um, we also pray for Pastor Joel as he brings the word for us this morning, uh, that you would use him uh, to convict us of our sin, to encourage us to follow Christ, and to give you glory in all that we say and do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So you guys got a handout. Did everyone get a handout? We still got a couple up here, and I might need to make more copies if someone doesn't have a handout. Okay, so we are picking up right where Nathaniel left off, which was Christian, um, at this point in his journey, has just made it out of the interpreter's house, right? That's where we left off with Nathaniel. I see one head, two heads nodding. Just making sure. Yes, thumbs up. Okay, good. So we have Christian just leaving interpreter's house. We've got these really cool uh, visions that he had or got to see um, Christ with the oil, um, the, the Satan-like figure with the water, um, and, and obviously Satan can't win, which is, is a wonderful reminder of Christ just keeping his sheep. Um, we, we got to talk about all kinds of different things there. And now we get to what may be an easier part of the story. I say that, but I'm going to stoke some controversy here in a minute just for fun, because that's what we do in Sunday school, for fun. We just stoke some controversy. Um, so let's kind of go through a quick summary uh, of what happens next. So Christian leaves this place. Um, he's still within the wicked gate, and as he is moving forward, he is moving towards the cross, right? He hasn't gotten there yet, and so what does he still have on his back? The burden's still there, right? Hasn't been taken off yet. But he's, he's moving, and did you guys notice, uh, if you're reading along, that as he's running to the cross, that there are walls around him? And what were those walls? Do you know what the walls were called? It's in your notes. You can be a cheater if you want to. What? Yeah, the walls of salvation. Hmm. He ponders and scratches his chin, right? What does that mean? That he is already running within the walls of salvation. Okay, this is me stoking the fire a little bit until we get there. But he runs and he gets to the cross, right? He finally, he makes it to the cross. He has to run up this hill. And as he gets to this hill, his burden is finally released. And it rolls into the tomb. Now, there is much debate, okay, much bunion debate about what happened here. So I'm going to leave it open to you, and I'm going to ask the question. I actually gave you a blank. You can fill out the blank on what you think happened, okay? So there's much debate. Was Christian saved here at the cross, or was Christian saved when he entered the wicked gate? So write your answer down and then be brave and say it out loud. So go ahead. 
Okay? Bryson says wicked gate. Wicked gate. What else? John, what do you say? Well, yes. Thank you, John. John, our resident Calvinist expert, nails it with predestination. Well done, brother. Well done. Ephesians 1 is giving you a hand clap. Um, yes and amen. Okay. Wow. I, I was expecting maybe a little more pushback here. Anybody think it was the cross? Nobody. Nobody thinks it was at the cross. At the cross. Hmm. Where it was realized. Okay. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Because it's, it's still the story. The story takes time to say all the words, but it's just like regeneration and justification and sanctification. I mean, all that happens like instantly, but even in me saying it that fast, it's not as fast as it all happened, so he has to still tell the story, but I believe, yes, I think it's gated. It happened. Okay. Well, I, I thought this was going to be harder for me to convince you, but that's actually my opinion, too. Okay, um, and uh, I, I think that we see that he enters this gate, this gate which is Christ, right? Christ, the, the gatekeeper, the shepherd of the sheep, and he allows him in, and at that point he's already running within the walls of salvation, right? He's there, and then it gets to this point where he realizes what? So when we are talking about his burdens being released and falling into the tomb, what are we describing in this imagery, maybe, maybe some of the theological terms of what are we actually talking about here. Assurance of salvation. Okay, that's good. We're going to see with the angels that he actually, that is part of the, or the shining ones, right? That, that's part of, of what he gets is going to be an assurance of salvation. Anybody else? Sanctification, I heard whispered under someone's breath. Okay, good. It's kind of cleared. Okay. I don't. I can't think of the theological term for that either, Ronnie. So good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Well, in this moment, right? Um, Christian is going to kind of sing that little hymn that he makes up, right, after his burden is released. And I think what we're seeing here um, is, is the, the working out of that substitutionary atonement. So he goes to the cross, and he realized it's by Christ's suffering that he has been released from his sin, and that sin goes off and goes into the tomb. So he bears that burden no more. And I think this is the realization of that. I think you guys were all hitting it right on the head that it was the realization of that. Now, I put a footnote in here as well for you to remember that the Pilgrim's Progress is not the Bible, okay? So if you interpret this a different way, maybe you weren't, uh, you didn't feel comfortable saying, I think it's at the cross. There are a lot of people who actually think that too. So you're not by yourself, even though here we heard everyone saying it was at the wicked gate. But there is, is just kind of maybe a relief for you to say, hey, I don't have to know all the answers here. This is an allegory that some dude wrote on the floor of a prison in the 17th century. So we can all just calm down, okay? Um, but 
Anyways, we, we, we see what's happening here. Christian is being relieved of these burdens. He's being assured of his faith. And then we get the three shining ones, okay? The three shining ones. And the first thing that these guys are going to do, so they, all three of them have a purpose, right? All three of them want to tell him something. And this is where, again, those people, good people, not those people, but other people, maybe we'll say it like that, will say, no, look, this is clearly salvation. Because after that, the three angels are, are talking about really specific things of what it looks like when somebody has a new life, okay? So the angel comes and the angel reminds him of forgiveness of his sins. That's your blank. If you are a person who is filling in blanks, not Brandon. Just gonna say it. Brandon's not filling in blanks. I can see him right here. <laughs> you can call out friends. It's okay. All right. So uh, two readers. Brandon will be one of them, um, and uh, somebody else. <laughs> this is your punishment. If you don't fill in blanks, you're gonna read. Uh, it's not a punishment. We get to read the word of God. Praise God. Um, Brandon, will you read for us Mark chapter two, verse five, and then will somebody read for us Isaiah fifty-three five? Titus, my man Titus. All right. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, so if you have this version of Pilgrim's Progress, that's the version that they, um, they actually put an asterisk there and said in the original, Mark 2, 5 was used. Um, if you guys have your copies, do you see Mark 2, 5 there? Or do you see Isaiah 53? This is just a, a nerdy question. 2, 5, I heard. 2, 5. What, what version are you using? Can you hold it up in the air so I can see it? Is that the Penguin's Classic? Sweet. Okay. That's a cool version with grace abounding with it. That's neat. Yeah. All right. Uh, who else? Lift. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting excited here. I'm like, oh, I want that one. Uh, I like those two books a lot. Mom, that's the version that had Mark 2 5 in it? This has Mark 2 5. Cool. And Zechariah 1 9. Oh, nice. Okay, Titus, read for us Isaiah 53 5. wonderful. A good reminder there as well. Okay, so the second thing that these angels are going to do is give him new clothes, right? And these new clothes are symbolizing what? What does the new clothes represent in the Christian life? What do you guys think? The new man, okay? This is the new man, and you can tell when we're using Ephesians as kind of a proof text here. So will somebody read for us Ephesians 4, 20 through 24? Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. Any takers? Troy, thank you, brother.
Thanks, Troy. And when we look at that, um, you guys have probably heard this teaching before, right? When we are talking about putting off the old man, putting on the new man, it's literally taking off old filthy rags and casting them off and putting on new clothes, okay? So this is that idea of shedding of the old man, putting on the new. Again, I want to be charitable, which is why I think people who say this is where he's saved, I understand why they would say that. Um, Okay, and then finally, the third thing that they do is that they give him the mark of a true Christian and the scroll of his assurance of salvation, okay? The scroll of his assurance, your blank, of salvation. Someone read for us Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Maybe John, because John gave us the the Ephesians. I'm just calling people out this morning. I'm drinking coffee. I'm excited to just get people to read the scriptures. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, and maybe 14. Wonderful. Thanks, John. Yes? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm. See, this is why John was right, right? When John said, before the foundations of the earth. But we're seeing here, right, Ted, I would probably put that in the category of calling, right? So the, the call has gone out, but it's not a general call because if it were a general call, he would have been like pliable, right? Or he would have been like obstinate. Yeah. Amen. I like it. John, and then we'll come to you, Titus. Yep. I think what was being talked about, Tim, is Tim Long in here? No, he's not in here. I see his offspring though. Um, And Tim was telling us about the parable of the seeds, right? Um, And and that whole idea of uh, some people hearing and then being choked out by the worries of this world and and other things and who is the true seed, right? We're going to see that by the perseverance, right, Ted, like you were talking about. So that's good. Titus, you had something else you wanted to add to that? if they heard the evangelist. But, but here's the deal. We c- this, is, this is why, that, that's a great question. We actually talk, I'm gonna talk about that a little bit later in here about understanding uh, Sloth and uh, those guys, his crew of people, um, and why I think that's a warning for us not to be these three things. 
um, because they are within the wicked gate, right? We're seeing them. But we also see people were jumping over the fence, right? People were hopping in uh, with formalist and hypocrisy. And so those were guys that were within the gate, but they didn't get in the gate the right way. They got in it a different way. And then we have to come back to, this is Bunyan's analogy, right? So it's not a perfect, or an allegory, it's not a perfect representation of what the Bible is trying to depict, which is why there's so much debate about it, right? Because it's not actually the word of God, but man, it is so sweet, uh, and it gets our noodles cooking, which I like. So I'm glad we're having these, these questions and, and bringing these things up. All right, so let's keep going. Uh, I, I appreciate the interaction, and we can keep it going. Um, so we are now going to move to the bottom of the hill, right? So, so Christ has this hilltop, not Christ, Christian, has this hilltop experience with Christ, and now he's coming down the hill, and Christian is going to meet th- three sleeping men, okay? These three sleeping men, and we're going to find out that they are simple, slothful, and presumption, okay? Now, what Titus had just said kind of lends me uh, to, to believe because these guys are within the wicked gate and we have no other background about these guys and they're sitting down right there. Um, it, it makes me go, you know, it's easy for us to be like, oh yeah, those people outside of Christ who are just simple and slothful and presumptuous, they don't know what they're doing. And part of me goes, I think this may have been a warning for Christians, Right? Don't act like these three men who, upon being forgiven of their sins, are acting in this way. Now, again, if we're going to take this to the nth degree, um, I don't think you can actually be simple anymore if you've been saved by Christ because you have a knowledge of Christ, but we'll get there. So let's go and let's talk about these people. So number one, we have Mr. Simple, right? Uh, This is another way for Bunyan to describe someone who is ignorant, and that's not, you know, the, the way of making fun of someone like, you're ignorant. No, it just means you don't know. You just don't have any information. These people who are simple uh, in the Hebrew are easily enticed or misled. Uh, in fact, the Hebrew for simple means that they are open for instruction from both wisdom or folly. Okay, so those are two blanks for you. For people who are simple, uh, first, they are easy easily enticed or misled. And then number two, um, they can be instructed by both wisdom or folly, okay? If you read the Proverbs, you see this immediately in chapters one through nine. It's the two paths. Will you go down the path of wisdom or will you go down the path of foolishness and folly, okay? So ignorance is actually part of the human condition, As finite creatures, human knowledge is incomplete, but human beings can trust God whose knowledge is complete to guide their steps. Now, I think this is going to get, I'm doing some reading right now for funsies, uh, and that for funsies reading is is reading that is, is above my head, but I love trying to dive deep into it, and it is by a Christian um, apologist slash philosopher uh, Cornelius Van Til talking about how do we know knowledge, right? And so we're going to see a little later on how our knowledge is presupposed by our authority. Who is our authority? Um, But I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's have a couple of readers. Um, Let me get 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 15. Hand. 
Ronnie. Thank you. Um, and then let me get somebody uh, to go through a few Proverbs for us. Um, we can do Proverbs. Uh, we'll just do that chapter 1. So Proverbs chapter 1, verses 4, 22, and 32. David, thank you. McKenna, I saw you. So you are going to do Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. All right, let's go. Good. Thank you. Who's my Proverbs? David, you're my Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 4, 22, and 32. So what, why I'm having you read that is this is the beginning of Proverbs that's telling us why the Proverbs were, were, were written. Right? And so they're trying to give wisdom to people who are ignorant. All right, keep going. Okay, good. And 32. So when we are looking at this simple man, I want you to hear the reality is not good. It's not just that he doesn't know. It's that he is choosing to follow that foolishness um, or, or to, be, to just be comfortable with being ignorant. So this is not a good example. It's not just like, oh, you're simple. Let's help you. Let's, it's like, what are you doing? Why are you being this way? You need to follow Christ, um, which is what Christian is going to attempt to do. All right, uh, McKenna, you have Ephesians four seventeen through 19. Thank you. So again, these guys are comfortable with where they are. Uh, simple, if you saw their reactions, it's like, ah, it's no big deal. We'll be okay. Um, all kind of describing their, their sin in this situation. And so I really want you to think about that in your pursuit of Christ, right? Are you comfortable with just being ignorant uh, about your faith? Are you comfortable with being ignorant about the scriptures? Are you comfortable with not actually applying them to your life? Um, and let this warning from Christian ring for you as well. Number two, sloth, um, or number C, I guess, in, in your notes that I wrote out. Sloth is the other person he meets, right? Uh, to be a sloth, um, who's seen, what's that, Zootopia? Have you guys seen that? Come on, parents. Yes, raising your hands. That's my favorite 
person in that whole movie, right? The sloth who works at the DMV. If you work at the DMV, I'm really sorry. I, I apologize, but I just remember that. In California, there were lines out the door and around the block to get to the DMV. It was the worst, and it was just like, right? So anyways, sloth. Uh, sloth means to be slack, loose, or negligent, okay? Um, that's your blank, is negligent. Now, I love the Hebrew here. It's so cool. Um, to be sloth, uh, the Hebrew literally means it's like a bow not being strung. So you just have this wooden piece, but you don't have the, the part that's going to actually send the arrow out. So it's like, what, what do you even have? You have nothing, right? Or that you have a bow that's strung, but you don't have an arrow ready. So what are you, you're just going to play some music with this thing, right? It, it's showing you that the sloth really isn't, doesn't care. They, they're not prepared. Uh, they move so slowly, they're, they're negligent, okay? And so here we have this other person that Christian runs into, the sloth, who is actually sleeping um, at that point. And so we've got other verses to jump into. Um, let's do Proverbs. We'll stick there because we're going to run out of time, and I want to get to formalists and hypocrisy. So somebody read for us Proverbs 12, uh, verses 24 and 27. So sloth and sluggard are going to be comparable words in the Proverbs, sloth and sluggard. So Proverbs 12, 24 and 27. Any takers out there? Okay. Wonderful. Again, this, this laziness of our, our slothful friend here on the path that Christian um, is interacting with and I can just give you the same kind of interactions there, asking you those same type of questions for your own spiritual life. And then I'm going to end now with presumption, okay? Um, the Hebrew for presumption means to uh, boil up, seethe, act proudly or rebelliously. Now, that's really interesting. So there, he, he gives that weird example, right, when you were reading, or maybe you, you'll recall something about a bathtub standing on its own legs, right? And it's like, what on earth are you even talking about here? But this is talking about his own presumption of his own um, pride. I, I'm going to make it on my own. I don't need your help. I have to stand on my own two legs, Okay, so this is a form of self-confidence, which makes overconfident assumptions concerning one's importance and rights. It is criticized as a form of arrogance that is unacceptable among believers whose lives should be characterized by humility. Okay, so a couple of examples. You've got Genesis 11. This is the building um, I believe, uh, of the Tower of Babel. You've got Numbers 14, 40 through 45, when the Israelites don't listen to Moses and gets themselves into trouble. So go back and look at those verses. But then Bunyan uses 1 Peter 5, 8. So somebody read 1 Peter 5, 8. Hi. Thank you. So 
Bunyan uses this verse to wake people up, but what people? What people is he trying to wake up? This is why I think he's talking to believers here specifically. Don't be like these three people because your adversary is walking around waiting to devour you. So wake up, be on guard, right? I think that's why Bunyan is using this verse here to help us understand these three people. But now Bunyan continues, right? And, and, and I love this because he, he's upset. He's like, man, these guys didn't listen to me. Do you think that's going to happen to you in your Christian life when you try to encourage or rebuke somebody that they might be like, bro, I'm fine. I don't need your help. Thanks a lot, but I got this. We, yes, yes and amen. And, and, and newsflash, we still are those people, right? And it's like we need to be reminded of that, right? And, and, and so when we see this, like I was saying, it's so easy to point to the outside, but we need to point the finger in and say, how am I like these three people that Bunyan has laid out for us? And, and just think about that. Again, Bunyan is on a cold prison floor when he's writing this, right? Uh, he, he's so, he does such a great job of pinpointing different types of people along the Christian life. And it's not like he's in a, uh, you know, like some writers do now, they go on a retreat or they have a nice hotel where they're going to write or they have this room set up for writing. No, he's like on a floor in a prison, okay? Um, that, that's so cool that the Lord would use him so well to pinpoint these certain types of people within the Christian life. So then he's along this path and he's like, all right, setting off, okay? I'm heading towards a, a mountain that's in front of me. I don't even know about this mountain yet, but here it is, it's coming up. And then he sees two dudes jump the fence, okay? We've got formalist and hypocrisy. And it's, can you just imagine, right? Here, here's Christian, he's like, okay, this is gonna be tough. What, what are you guys doing? You're cheating, cheaters you can't do that right and um so we have formalist hop the fence right and his twin brother hypocrisy and um as they are going uh we see this word being used formalist now this isn't maybe a word that we typically use a ton now but it is a word that is very similar to hypocrisy in fact it's i would say it's a synonym but in the time when Bunyan wrote this book, it actually had a specific meaning. So formalist in the 17th century meant a readiness to support the religious body or party in power at the moment for religious time serving. So you can just hear in that definition of formalist that there's no heart behind it. It's just like, okay, this is my duty for whatever religious thing is in power at the moment. I need to follow it. I need to follow uh, what it is um, that's in charge of me at this time, but not really a heart change, okay? It also refers to holding forms or moral codes, which were, this is why we see this so close to being a hypocrite, forms or moral codes which were created to protect people from neglecting their inner man, but end up focusing all on the emphasis on the forms and moral code, Right? So this is where we see the Pharisees 101, right? We're going we're gonna to set up these laws to protect us from breaking the laws that we're actually not supposed to break. And then we're going to follow those laws 
that are outside of that law more fervently than actually following the law. And we're going to tell everybody, follow these man-made laws, but not actually the law of God, right? This is, this is exactly what Christ is getting after with the Pharisees. And this is why the twin brother of formalist, hypocrisy, who hops over the wall, um, we see him as another type that we need to be warned of, right? In the Greek, hypocrisy means an actor, pretender, or role player. The hiding of the interior wickedness under the appearance of virtue. Um, And this is what Christ especially denounces in the Pharisees. As the vice of those who do their good deeds only to be seen by men and not for the glory of God. All right, so somebody read for us Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9. Talking about the hypocrite. Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9. I hear Bibles moving. I just don't see hands going up. It's odd when that happens. Ryan, go for it. Ooh, right? There are, there are certain verses that we read. Um, one of them, another you know, famous one, and I was talking about this with somebody just recently, right? Where, Christ, but I did all these things in your name, and away from me I never knew you, right? This is the hypocrite, the person who acts like it, but does not have a heart that is transformed. And, and Bunyan shows us by people who are going to hop the fence right? Not actually having a heart that's been changed to enter through the wicked gate, but they're going to say, okay, we're, we want to be on this path. And, and they actually say those things. Oh no, it's okay. We have traditions about this. And that's why it's okay for us to hop over the fence. We have testimonies of people all throughout time that make this okay. Don't worry about us. You just, you know, you, you, you silly man, uh, Christian, right? And this all boils down to the presupposition of authority, Okay. Both of these people are hunkered into authority here. For a Christian, his authority is going to be um, Scripture, okay? So if you look under sources of authority, Christian immediately uses Scripture as his authority. He points to John chapter 10, right? Anybody want to read John chapter 10, verse 1? Just one verse, super quick. You can do it. I trust you. Mark, I hear your Bible rustling over there. Are you at John chapter 10, verse 1, perhaps? Someone can beat John. We can mock him. Yes? We're not going to mock you.
love that scolding rebuke that uh, Christian gives, right, to these men who are hopping over the fence, who are, who are trying to do it a different way. Um, and, and, and Christian immediately calls them out on it, saying, hey, don't you know the authority of how you're supposed to be here? You're supposed to enter through the gate. You're not supposed to jump over the wall, right? Christian's concern is with God's word, not human tradition. Christian says that he walks by the rules of his master, not the uninformed imagination of man. And then Christian quotes Galatians 2.16 to point to faith and not to the works of formalism. Galatians 2.16. Someone read it. Once you get there, just read it out loud. You don't even have to raise your hand. Just and we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. For we have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Mm, mic drop, right? These guys hopped over the fence. They didn't enter through faith in Christ. They jumped over trying to use forms of moral code or formalism and and acting like they were godly people and they were not. Christian then points to his experience. Note how far down it gets to, to his experience. Experience was not the first thing he quoted. God's word was interesting but he does use experience at some point and points to the fact look i've got new clothes don't you see these things i have the mark of a christian um i have this scroll of assurance and immediately these dudes just go to mocking him right so formalist and hypocrisy we look at their forms of authority their source of authority are their countrymen and their established customs that they have they have witnesses that say, but look at the practicality, okay? If we're all about things that work, if we're all about pragmatism, then jumping the fence is fine. Anybody could jump the fence, right? Just jump it. It works. That means that it's good. Whew, there are some really hard-hitting um, critiques, I think, even for evangelicalism with pragmatism. All right, they believe their customs will be accepted before a judge, right? All these other people have done it. All these other people have walked in this way, and they have their own laws and ordinances that they must follow. And then finally, they mock true believers. Uh, As we look at this this morning, friends, I just want you to hear, and, and for us older folks, Um, we, I'm sure, have experienced this a lot. When you try to go to someone, you see who's acting as a hypocrite or maybe as a formalist, someone who's not actually living their life in a manner worthy to the calling that they have, they disregard you almost immediately, right? They, They shun you off. Oh, stop. You're such a legalist, right? Or, or they, they, they actually make fun of you, right, for, for the way that you act and how it's so much different from other people. And friends, I just want you to hear that even, you know, someone famed like John Bunyan felt these things, right? He, making this story up, is really helping us in our Christian life say, hey, 
This isn't just something that you tell the youth at a youth night, right? Oh, your friends will make fun of you because you are a believer. But guess what? Even if we just said that at a youth night, which I think we probably have. Youth, you can call me out if I, if I haven't said something like that. But that's good. It's good for you to hear. You will lose friends. You will lose family members who are actually hypocrites and formalists, okay? You yourself this morning might be pricked by that in your heart. Oh man, have I just been following just a set of rules? But has my heart actually been renewed by Christ? Do I actually love Jesus for saving my soul? Do I actually look to his authority and not to culture or to pragmatism or to what my friends do? That's a good way to end this morning in that introspection. So let me pray for us, and I'll be up here for your questions, concerns, and most certainly your cries of outrage. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to be like the man who thumped his chest and could not even lift his eyes up and ask for forgiveness because we are sinners. Help us not be like the formalist or the hypocrite who wants to look good in front of others, who wants to play a good game, who wants to, as, as Tim told us a few weeks ago, just enjoy the benefits of a godly church. Father, don't let us be those people. Don't let us be those people that have fallen asleep on the path, who don't care about the word, who don't care about the fellowship of the saints. Who, who presume that they will pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Don't let us be those people, Father. Ignite in us a heart on fire for your word, for the sweetness of the word of God, for the relationship that we have with Jesus, and for a life that reflects that to others around us. Lord, let us be those lights in the darkness. Let us be a, a true and faithful witness amongst the dark here in our own lives, with our own families, with our own neighbors, with our own church, with our own county, and with the rest of the world if you call us there. Father, help us to be faithful and obedient. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.